Hey there, and welcome to Brave Business Triumphs in partnership with Next, a growth acceleration agency. In our customer and control world, it's critical to understand that your business and your brand need to be more connected than ever before. Check out each episode with host Doug Longenecker and his special guests as they check in with growth-minded leaders and their organizations, exploring why and how they strive to make their businesses more personal and their brands more human. Learn from their inspiring stories of uphill battles, perseverance, and what it takes to make the necessary bold moves with confidence. Get ready, because here we go. Welcome to Brave Business Triumphs. On this episode, we're going to address a topic of increasing importance and relevance to businesses and brands that have an obsessive focus on growth, and that is customer experience, specifically how a company's CX strategy and customer control strategy should be integrated to create a pervasive corporate culture that is fixated on delighting its customers. Now, because this topic is so critical for organizations to get it right, I'm excited to have three special guests to share their collective experience and wisdom when it comes to CX. With that, I'd like to introduce Tom Stewart and Patricia O'Connell. They are the co-authors of the best-selling book on customer experience, Woo, Wow, and Win, Service Design Strategy and the Art of Customer Delight. As an influential thought leader on global management, Tom is currently the Chief Knowledge Officer at Achieve Next, and Patricia is the president of R10 Consulting, a New York City-based firm that works with companies to devise content strategies and develop thought leadership for top management. Rounding out our guest panel today is Tara Baumgarten. Tara is the head of PR and strategic communications at Next, a growth acceleration agency. So Tom, Patricia, and Tara, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad all three of you could be uh, with me today. Hey, Doug. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Doug. Good to be here. I wish we were in person, but... One day. I know. Someday soon that will change. And I just, for full transparency, uh, I just want everyone to know the four of us have spent the better part of the summer putting together and developing a new CX strategy workshop that officially launched this October. And it's based on Tom's and Patricia's book. So if anyone is interested in learning more about any, any of the specific topics we're discussing today, feel free to email me at cxworkshopdl at whatsnext.com. That's cxworkshopdl at whatsnkst.com. All right, that's a shameless plug, but we hustlers got to hustle. <laughs> so just um, to start off with Tom, I know one of, the, one of the aspects I love about the book, Woo Wow Win, is the relatable examples of specific customer experiences with business and brands. And a lot of the ah moments and conversely the ow moments uh, for customers deal with, with a matter of choice or, or options. So in developing a solid CX strategy, how would you or, or should an organization consider uh, how their customer experience strategy relates to their own customer control world? So that, thank you. And, and, and it's really great to be, to be with you and, and part of this team. One of the things that I think is interesting is, is that companies tend to think about the value they're offering. They think this is our value proposition. We're going to put something out here and it's valuable and here's why. Uh, but they tend not to think about the value that customers, the value from the customer's point of view. You know, the famously Ted Levitt once said, people are not buying, they don't want to buy a quarter inch drill. They want to get a quarter inch hole. You know, <laughs> what is this, what is your product or service going to, going to do to me? And, and, or do for me? And, and, and what, what am I coming to you to, to get? And, and it's getting your mind sort of flipped around to actually look at it from the customer's point of view, from the point of view of the value that the customer is getting. That's the kind of thing that allows you to make smarter decisions about, about your customer experience. It also allows you to identify um, weaknesses and holes in your customer experience. One way of thinking about this is kind of simple. If you think about some of these big hotel chains that have multiple, multiple uh, you know, brands and sub-brands. So you think of Hyatt, which has its undas, you know, where everybody's very trendy and you, you walk in and everybody's wearing totally black and you're checked in on the iPad, you know. That's a very different kind of experience from um, the Hyatt Regency, where it's every, you know, it's much more grand and gold and ormolu and so on and so forth. They're going to a different market. They're presenting a different experience. And though they may share some of the same back office functions, because it's 
it's all there. The face that, you know, the, the, the interface and the interaction and everything from the room design to the check-in experience to the way the bills look um, is, is, is customized to create the kind of experience that connects to a strategy for a set of customers, for a set of, for a particular market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, I always like when you and Patricia relate things to specific examples of, of categories of business. And with the, with the, the hotel experience that you just described, there seems to be, um, I'm wondering how we get more or, or how more companies, organizations can start to think of their own business in, in a certain aspect of that, in terms of there is, there's a lot of experience to get people to make that booking. And then they're going to go and they're going to travel, they're going to get there, they're going to check in. But the experience doesn't really stop at the, at the, um, the, the conversion to sale, the transaction that goes on they, that, that experience with that customer goes well beyond checking in and, you know, even their stay there, then there's, there's coming home and a host of things beyond that. So I'm, I'm something always, to go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Something to bear in mind, Doug, is that you don't necessarily control every aspect of the customer's experience, you know, especially when you think about it in terms of something like a trip, there is getting to where you're going. That mm-hmm. may start off with your ride to the airport. You know, we all know what a joy TSA was and what fun <laughs> airports were before the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. And what flying was like before the before the pandemic. Then there's your ride to the hotel. Then there's all the meals you choose to have during your stay at the hotel, which may or may not be uh, at the hotel. There's shame on any concierge who sends you to um, a crappy restaurant just because he's getting a cut. That has happened to me. And I have gone back and told the concierge, you know, shame on him because this was not um, a restaurant that matched the kind of experience I would have expected. I wasn't looking to eat at the hotel, but I expected that hotel, which was a really nice hotel, to send me to a restaurant of equal quality. And I, I think, so it raises a couple of things. One is any, your, any business is part of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we control our ecosystem partners or we have control of our ecosystem partners and sometimes we don't. You know, think about the fact that, for example, at the airport, TSA and the airlines are separate. They don't. Mm-hmm they don't have control over each other. So you can be in a bad mood, but you know, by the time you sit down on your flight and you may be ready to blame it on the, the airline, but really it wasn't that, that hasn't been the problem. The problem started, right? you know, at TSA or the problem started in your taxi. So you have to think, first of all, if you are going to partner with anybody, you need to partner with people who think like you do. And that comes down to what we've talked about in our book as archetypes, the business archetypes, the way you approach business. Archetypes are not industry specific. They're more mission specific. They're more about your approach to business being similar. And, you know, we can talk about archetypes all day, which I suspect we're not going to do today. But, (laughs) but, you know, that goes back to my idea about the the hotel, if I'm at a high-end hotel, I expect a high-end hotel to send me to a high-end restaurant. Correct. You know, that, yeah. that should be part of their ecosystem, not some place where, you know, the waiters are all lackadaisical and the food is subpar and it's just not a great experience because, you know, then I'm going to walk back into the hotel and be like, well, mm-hmm. dinner was just really bad. And that's then going to color the rest of my experience at the hotel. So there are all these little steps. So as many as you can, as many as you can control, as many as you can work to create, you know, what we call the odd moments, mm-hmm. you should, because people, people will remember first moments, last moments, and peak emotion ex- moments in their experiences. And peak emotion isn't necessarily peak happiness, right? Or peak mm-hmm. enjoyment. Exactly. It can be uh, peak peak in the first the yes. valley. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and and with that, is there is there anything that you think companies and organizations can or should do to help employees under, have that shared understanding of hey, we we're setting out here to have a, a, a help our customers have a great experience with us in terms of training or just helping them, those employees to understand that it might not just come down to the experience with said brand or company. So what you're describing, you might have, you might have had a horrible experience at TSA or the, the car ride or cab or car service to the airport um, wasn't too, didn't, didn't work out. They were, they arrived late and they chose the, the, the crappiest way to get to the airport. Um, is there or, a way, or, you know, there was traffic, like which nobody could control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we actually, Doug, we think about this we, we, uh, in the sort of customer experience world, people talk about touch points and they think about, you know, what is what are all the moments at which we engage with the customer? Now, some of those are not person to person moments. You know, I go on a website. Yeah, somebody designed it, but I may not. But th- those may be, you know, not person to person, or if I go to my ATM, mm-hmm. you know, there's not, there's not, there's not a banker there. But, but if you think about people across those touch points, you want to think about um, a number of things. I mentioned one of them that's critical empathy, right? Putting your mind in, you know, putting, thinking of things through the, from the customer's point of view, what is the customer trying to do? I don't mean sympathy in the sense of like, you know, it's not empathy. It's not sympathy. Empathy is like really seeing it things from the other person's point of view. What, what's that person trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but then a related thing to this, and it comes more closely to what we're just saying is, is emotion. Now what's the customer likely to be feeling or want to be feeling at this moment. And you can, I can imagine three examples of this. One is, you're on the side of the road uh, and you just had a fender bender and you call your insurance company and you get, thank you for your call. Our, you know, please listen very closely because our number, because our options have changed. <laughs> this is not what you want to hear when smoke is coming out of your, out of, out of your radiator, right? It, it's, it's your emotion is fear or anxiety or who knows what it is, but you want to get to a person quickly. You don't want to yell associate, associate into the phone in order to be able to get to somebody. Um, likewise, on, on the other end, there may be times when you want to amp up emotions, you might want to, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I've met a woman the other day who works with um, professional sports teams to try to create the, professional, the, the customer experience for professional sports teams. Man, you walk into the stadium, you want, oh, you know, you want things amped up. You want, you, want, you want an emotional experience. It's very different from the emotional experience you might want when you want to tamp things down. Somebody calls customer service right, and nothing's working. You know, you want to figure out, all right, let me listen. Let's listen. So understanding empathy and emotion. And the third key, another third element that's really important here is expectations, is setting clearly the expectations. Patricia's example of the hotel and the, and the restaurant is a good one because you have a, the hotel has set an expectation for the kind of experience you're going to get, even if they're sending you to a restaurant around the corner. So mm-hmm. being clear about the expectations, when you work with us, we can, you know, you can expect this, but by the way, you shouldn't expect this, you know, and, 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 and so being clear about emotions, expectations, and empathy will go a long way to bringing employees in mm-hmm. so that they understand, ah, this is what the customer expects. This is what I need to do to be able to deliver. This is who the customer is so I can put myself in the customer's head. And this is what the customer's feeling is and, and some you know, training and trying to understand what that emotion is likely to be and how to handle it. Whether you're on a shop floor, uh, a law firm, you know, mm-hmm. a law, you know, uh, you're trying to deal, you're trying, if you think about expectations, emotions, and empathy, your employees can get a long way toward delivering that, a better experience. Yeah. And you just made me think of something, Tom. So in terms of those expectations, those expectations, a lot of times might be set by the the brand and the brand might be operating in in one direction and it's not right or wrong. It's just, that's, that's, uh, that's where they're going. But if the company doesn't have operations and training set up on from the business side of things, that could probably create some some discontent along the way, and maybe more more ow moments than ah. Absolutely. 
Well, I mean, Tara, you're in PR, so you understand how important it is not to have dissonance <laughs> between the various parts of the of the of a brand, between all the the various parts of an organization, between members of an ecosystem. Yeah, no, it's true, and it all comes down to communication, honestly. And everything that you and Tom were just saying, everything can be resolved or made better just by open and transparent communication. And just going back, not to kind of repeat what you guys were saying, but the employee experience is so critical to the customer experience that I feel like companies sometimes overlook that. And, um, you know, there's a saying, and I can't remember who to attribute it to. So I apologize to whoever originally said this, but it's, it was like, uh, no one can whistle a symphony on their own. It takes a whole orchestra to play it. And we talk so much around here about how, um, you know, business is a team sport and communications is like a linchpin and all of that. So setting the expectations and making sure it's communicated consistently um, is so key. And, and when you invest, uh, when companies invest in just open and transparent communication with their employees and it, that addresses their basic human need for inclusion and uh, when they understand the strategy and then the context behind the strategy, they understand their role within it and they know when they can and cannot go that extra mile. Um, and then they're better equipped to handle those experiences that come their way. And it makes for a happier employee, which translates to a happier customer, which creates a happy bottom line. And, and then everybody's just happy. <laughs> you know, you said something very key there, Tara, which I think is interesting. You know, as you think about a lot of a lot of our management ideas, right, were crafted and developed in a manufacturing dominant world, mm -hmm. where the customers on the outside of the plant, you know. So my job at General Motors is or was to make sure that that car is beautifully put together, no errors, you know, well made, blah 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 blah. But the customers out there. Um, if you think about a world of services, the customer is not at the loading dock. The customer's right mm -hmm. there alongside you saying, no, I'd like it. You know, imagine a customer in an automobile assembly line saying, no, no, no. Can you make it that green a little bit lighter? <laughs> no, wait, wait a minute, wait. I'm not sure. Can we move this a little? And this is what, this is how, you know, this is what customers have. So whereas in a factory environment, you can have much more strict processes. You know, tab A goes into slot B, you turn the crank this way. You, mm -hmm. you, can, can, you can have these processes much more under control. When the customer's in the mix like that, your ability to control is messed up by the fact mm -hmm. that the customer is right there saying, can you make that green a little lighter? Make that green a little different. And, and so you, employees need playbooks, yes. not rule books. Mm -hmm. They need, this is the kind of thing that we do. And, and rule books, yeah, they're, obviously there are red lines you cannot cross, you know, but, but you need to give employees playbooks which means a certain amount of empowerment which means you they've got to know what you're trying to do mm -hmm. right they've got to know more about strategy more about and they've got to have they have a, have to have a better indication of 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 how we make money so that they can do a better job of working with customers within the bounds of that playbook completely agree and you know with with that i think that's when you we start getting the the employee component involved in, and engaged in understanding the direction of the company and the, the value of, of customer experience in the overall proposition of, of the organization, the benefits that it offers, that starts to really set up a way for that experience that the employee is providing to the, to the customer, a point of differentiation. And um, I, I think companies for a long time, even moving forward now, are still have uh, a lot of different challenges uh, they face when they're they're trying to differentiate their value they offer to their customers. Is is um, is there anything else within that, Patricia, that that you you feel is um, can be helped through through training or with with employees, or is there other, some other combination? Well, I think first of all, you have to look at what kind of product are you or service are you offering. If it's something that's largely commoditized service and the experience that you give customers is one of the ways you distinguish yourself. Mm. You know, if I'm going to buy something that is, is very, very similar, you know, something that's not an item near and dear to my heart, but something that is useful, I have to think about 
what, what do I want? Do I want it fast? If I want it fast, I'm going to call Amazon. If I want to have a charming interaction with, uh, you know, and feel good about shopping the neighborhood, I'm going to go someplace local and, and hope that they have it. And uh, I, so, so I think you have to think about what is it that you are offering that's different? Obviously, my local hardware store is not offering the quantity of, of items that Amazon is, or even Home Depot for that matter. Mm -hmm. But maybe what they can offer is a better experience. Maybe they can offer the, you know, I, I literally had a, a case, it was a couple of summers ago, really, really hot summer. And I decided that I needed an extra fan and it looked like it should have been easy to put together and it wasn't. And, you know, I brought it back and I just sort of threw my hands up and I said, you know, can, can I pay someone in the store to put it together for me? And first, the guy didn't want me to give him any money, but this is a store that actually um, it, it hires political refugees and people who are transitioning from life mm. out of prison. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they have a really good social mission, which is, again, part of their differentiator. So, you know, I was happy to, to throw a few bucks that way. I would have been happy to throw, you know, several bucks at the problem, regardless of who was getting it. But think about how you can differentiate what, what you're offering. You know, mm -hmm. if it's not what you're offering, it's how you're going about offering it that's different. Mm -hmm. and, and that is helping employees to understand that. You know, that we are selling, you know, this this also goes back a little bit to archetypes. If you look at any major city, you have a cluster of very expensive hotels in one area. And then you go outside of the city and you start to have all the chains on the highway, you know, the yeah. ones that aren't so expensive. I mean, nobody is spending, you know, Ritz Carlton money to sleep on the highway. <laughs> But think about who your competition is. You know, the Ritz-Carlton is not competing with the Hotel 8 yeah, or the correct. Motel 8. Motel, my goodness. Um, <laughs> That's their upscale too. Yeah. 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 So think about who your competition is. You know, my competition as Motel 8 is, you know, Bill Bob's Burger Joint. Yeah, and Red Roof Inn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, but but not even Red Roof Inn because they're both in the same business, but in terms of providing a similar type of experience, you know, where my expectations are for everything to be just fine, just just fine. I don't expect I don't expect a pillow menu at Super 8 Motel. Yeah. You know, I don't expect Chateaubriand at Bill Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Right. Sonic steak. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, it, 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 that makes sense. So we, we've, as companies, we got to be realistic in, in who we are and what we represent and the, the level of service that we, we do provide. And that goes back to, I think it was Tara who was talking about expectations, because if you're clear about setting expectations and if you are clear with both employees and customers about what those expectations are, it's less likely customers are going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Right. True. Yeah, and that kind of, that kind of coincides with uh, something I've heard you say a couple of times. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this right, but it's um, um, the the customer the customers is always isn't always is always right only if the customer is right for you. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? You got it. Right. The customer okay. is right if only it's the right customer for you. Okay. Which was our first. I think that was one of the very first things we came up with when we were writing the book. And I remember I threw that out there and Tom sort of looked at me, you know, as if I had just spoken heresy. <laughs> um, but then, and, and it was interesting because his, his response was understandable as is often the case, you know, when we're doing a workshop, we're doing a talk and we ask people to raise their hands and say, who thinks the customer is always right? And the number of people who still think that. And I said, not if it's the wrong customer for you. If it's not a customer who you can serve re reliably, repeatably, scalably, and profitably, that's not the right customer for you. 
Mm-hmm. An interesting sidebar, we did some research into the origin of that phrase, and it's a little murky, um, but there's one of two origins. Both have to do with department stores, one in the UK and one in the United States. And basically, Doug, to the questions you've been asking about employee experience, the customers always write came as a mantra for training department store employees about how not, don't argue with the, don't get into a mm-hmm. fight with mm-hmm. the customer. And if you think back, this is the turn of the turn of the, twi- of, of the of the 19th century into the 20th. We're f- starting to see urbanization and big department stores, you know, Selfridges and Wanamakers and, and you know and, and all these mm-hmm. starting to emerge. And it's a new shopping experience. It's a new kind of shopping experience as opposed to the local general store, these big urban department stores. And people had to be the, the shopkeepers, the the, the the clerk, the, 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 you know, the cashiers and the shop help, the shop, shop girls, as they probably mostly were at the time, had to be told, you know, don't fight with the customer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Just agree so as to defuse these things. But it wasn't meant to be strategy. Yeah. It was meant mm-hmm. to be, let's, you know, it was meant to be good manners uh, in dealing with the customer who's in your face and maybe frustrated or unhappy or asking for something kind of crazy. Mm. Nice. I love the I love the history on, on that. Yeah. Um, and now speaking of, of sort of um, I'll say Tom and Patricia isms, but uh, we've often heard you you say um, during during the course of the summer, products or handoffs, uh, products or handoffs and services are handshakes. Can you explain and expand upon that a little bit, Tom? Well, you know, that's I, I gave that example earlier of, of of the of an automobile assembly plant. Uh, where the product is made and then there's a handoff to the customer, the customer's outside. Uh, and that's a different kind of a relationship from you know, an equally complex environment, a hospital where the customer's right in there. So, so in a sense, in a service, we are working together. We, value is often co-created in a mm-hmm. service. I mean, in a simple service, like you know, going to McDonald's and buying a burger you know, or, or buying a Kit Kat bar at the local deli, it's just a transaction. There's not really a handshake. I give the guy a buck, I get a Kit Kat bar. Uh, but but in anything more complex than that, there is a there's a conversation. There's a, you know, what are you looking for if you're going into a bookstore? There is a, you know, can I help you, sir, if you're looking looking for a suit in Brooks Brothers? Or if it's a tailored suit, there's, you know, there's a real, you know, where there's there's measurements. So law firms, you know, these things are much more collaborative in general than the relationship that one has in producing and and in, in producing a product mm-hmm. uh, where you hand it off to the retailer who then actually, you know, has more of an engagement. It, it makes for a very interesting, um, if you start thinking about that, it, start change, it starts changing how you think about you know your customer and your relationships and for manufacturers this has become weird recently because in an online world suddenly sales and service uh, it, many manufacturers are dealing more directly with customers than they ever were before i mean we needed a new blade for our cuisine art you know old world you would have gone down to the store where you bought the cuisine art and seen if you could have had a new but no you go on the website and you order the new blade from cuisine art and so suddenly they are interacting directly with customers mm-hmm. in a company that you know for most of its history never had so this realization that the customer is in the room with you uh and that you are collaborating with the customer in crafting something custom if it's something like a marketing campaign um or or at least engaging with him or her directly uh, is a bit of a, a, a mind opener for, for people. Uh, and you know, digital has changed that too, because it also allows us, we have these digital handshakes uh, and sometimes digital preserves the illusion that the customer is somewhere off in some other part of the world, but right. in fact, the customer's may be feeling very close to you. Mm-hmm. That's there's there's a lot in there, and I think we can come back and, and do a deeper dive into that between um, having that realization that the customer is probably closer to you than, than what you you think. Um, it's just um, just because it's digital, they're not they're not always um, you know stretched too far away. But the other notion that value is co-created, and whether that's co-created between the the company 
and the customer as or even thinking about it internally so the company and all the different employees that it takes to create that that particular experience even if it's as as uh, what we might think is simple as mundane as as a as a hamburger and fries um uh, for that whole that whole exchange at the counter to what goes <laughs> goes on um kind of behind the counter and then bring it bring it forward that that whole experience uh, mm-hmm. when you start looking at it that way that seems very interesting to me i actually i'm I'm thinking about how that applies to even just our, our own business with uh, with Next uh, from a consulting and, and ad agency side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been a great uh, and fantastic conversation. I just want to thanks again for uh, for the three of you being able to join me. And if you have time, uh, we could do a quick lightning round. Yeah, go speed for it. Round. <laughs> and this, this might be a little bit lighter, lighter uh, topics here, but maybe we'll just start with Tara. Um, what is the last book that you read? I just finished rereading Still Life with Woodpecker by Tom Robbins. Really? Yeah. And up next is Up in Smoke. It's the stories from the crematory. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can get that started this weekend. It's a Halloween reading, right? It is. <laughs> Patricia, how about you? Well, the book I'm in the middle of is the Trader Joe autobiography. Oh, cool. Nice. Huh? Which which is really um, a fascinating story. I'm in, the middle of a, next, yeah. I'm in the middle of a long contemporary Russian novel by a woman named Ludmila Ulitskaya called Jacob's Ladder, which is a multi generation family hmm. saga about written by a, 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 a you know quite well known uh, uh, Russian novelist and, and and with multi with lots of Russian names, so it's hard to hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Them, but, uh, a handy dandy genealogical chart at the beginning and uh and that sort of big russian novel feel and it's like 500 pages long too which wow so it's, it's uh, more than more than summer reading right you yeah got it. it's taken me in the fall i started <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what are you reading um i just i just finished and it feels like i was late to the, to the game on this one because it's been published for a while but um boys in the boat and mm. it's the u.s olympic team from 1936, and yes. it, it, it starts with how that team came about, and it, it, it tracks their their individual stories in getting into university on the West Coast, and and how they they were treated on the uh, back on the East Coast for the, the Nationals, um, the Dad Vales, and and Heather Charles. They were they were not received very well, but they kept on winning and winning, and then even the Olympic. Committee, um, the U.S. Olympic Committee made it challenging for them to get funded to go to the Olympics uh, at, at that point. And even when they got there, it was just, it was just like one challenge after another. And it's, it's, you see these these young kids coming out of, um, uh, you, you know, very, very challenging um, childhoods and coming out of post depression and what what it took to get them there. And over, overcome everything, all odds. It was just—it's a really interesting story. Hmm. Even though you know how it ends uh, when you start. Yeah. <laughs> yes. well, you know how Day of the Jackal ends too. It does. Seem, <laughs> yeah, not um, Tara, back to you with any favorite apps, if they're CX related or, or not. Uh, not CX related, and aside from my podcast and my music apps, my favorite app is my meditation app, Ten Percent Happier, because it makes me ten percent more sane. <laughs> nice patricia man this is so basic this is so lame (laughs) it is it is the weather channel that's not lame that we we depend on that (laughs) you know i want to know i want to know what i'm kind of a control freak i want to know what i want to worry already today what i ought to be worrying about wearing on tuesday (laughs) <laughs> okay that's that's just the way I am and I, I will tell you um, I remember going back 15 years when I was working at a website for um, well I was working at the website for Business Week magazine and one of the questions we were asked at the retreat for improvement was what um, widgets remember when widgets were a word oh, yeah. yes mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and I still I still never really understood what a widget was um, you know in the in the in that sense, but like what widgets or buttons or apps would you put on, would you add to our site, the weather channel? I guess I've just always been obsessed with knowing what the weather is going to be. 
Yeah, and how, and how it's changing. Hot and cold, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's me. Tom, how about you? Well, today my favorite app is is a Scrabble app because I'm about to win mm. a game. Nice. Uh, uh, having ha- having had a 99 point uh, score on on something, so that's today. Uh, tomorrow, <laughs> that may not be my my favorite <laughs> app, and I have to say that if I go after that on my favorite app, it's likely to be ProPublica, mm. the news app. Oh. I really like I, 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 it, not because the app is anything special, but because I just really admire the ProPublica stuff. And whenever I go there, there's a story like, oh, wow, I, this is just incredible. Well, I'm, I'm kind of like Patricia. It feels like mine might be uh, not overly exciting, but now that we're getting through the pandemic a little bit more, we've been out getting around and, and driving and um, either for uh, for work or just um, uh, pleasure, but, but you know, getting back and forth, at least between here and Pen- points in Pennsylvania, a little bit more with, with family and friends, uh, Waze uh, is, mm-hmm. is, is back for, for mm-hmm. me. But it was, mm-hmm. kind of, it was kind of nice for the two years, not even have to worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, gonna say my my new my New York State wallet with my Celsius pass saying I'm vaccinated. That's my most useful. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, um, the next two kind of uh, go together. Uh, what is the the most memorable, uh, either good or bad, recent customer experience you had? And then, did you feel compelled? Was it was it that good or that bad to actually reach out and contact the business to inform them of that good or bad experience? <laughs> Tara, go. I'm laughing because I'm in the middle of a horrendous, uh, horrendous experience with a car company, and I will name them by name, Subaru. <laughs> uh, we're having a horrendous experience with them right now. Um, and I was actually pretty shocked because we've been uh, Subaru owners for about 20 years, and uh, they have a known issue. We had a residual issue coming out of it, and no one there wants to talk to us. No one there wants to email us back. No one from customer service. After our initial call, we got passed around to a million people and everyone we got was literally reading from the same script. It was almost like watching that scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where the, he hits the doorbell again and the same tape plays over and over again. That's kind of what uh, loop we felt like we were in and ultimately no resolution. So we pick up our Jeep on Saturday. Wow. So the company that so the company's all about love, the car company yeah. about love is showing you no love. No, and I did reach out to them. I reached out to their chief customer experience officer, their customer loyalty person, um, their CEO, and nobody has even responded or even cares. So um, we've moved on. Have you on. taken to Twitter yet? Oh, I have. Oh, I have. Yes. <laughs> and again, no one cares. But on the flip side, so what I can tell you, my best customer experience also happened very recently. And it's really interesting because my worst customer experience happened with a company that I'd been loyal to for 20 years and that I've spent literally tens and tens and tens, probably close to $100,000 with them. Whereas WordPress, I am the webmaster for a local nonprofit youth organization over here. And my job was to create a website for which I have no um, experience or skills at and paid WordPress under $100. I think it was $97 for the website. Um, built it as good as I could, and then had a couple of questions because I was getting stuck. So not only did I spend a fraction of the amount of money with WordPress, but the customer service guy, who was amazing, actually recorded screenshot videos of the exact template of the exact problem I was having and walked through the solution and how to do it and sent me a series of videos and then followed up. And then his colleague also followed up just to make sure that I felt supported and was able to execute what I needed to on the website. So like amazing experience with little investment, they went above and beyond versus another company where you're spending thousands of dollars and you're just kind of a throwaway customer. So go WordPress. (laughs) There you go. Uh, And did you, did you get back to let them know? Yes. All right, good. Yes, I did. Patricia? Don't have to do both. Okay. Either or, uh, one. Good, good one was, was just right before this call. I have, um, I'm in charge of providing all the refreshments tomorrow for a board retreat for a nonprofit board that I'm on. And on the website, they had, you know, descriptions of all the food, but I actually had to order by talking to someone. Wow. wow. 
And it was really nice to talk to someone so I could actually make the point that someone in the group has an egg allergy. So there can be no mustard, no mayonnaise, no ketchup, Mm. no coleslaw on the sandwiches, no dressings on the sandwiches. Everything has to be, you know, plain. And, And she was just so nice and cheerful. And I thought, wow, that was so much, so much nicer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I feel like it, it took so much less time instead mm-hmm. of me checking boxes and all that. And, uh, but, but, you know, they, they did a great handoff from the mm-hmm. website to in person, because on the website, they give you very clear descriptions, very yummy, appealing, appetizing pictures. And uh, so that, that I think was a great example of a dual, um, you know, a dual uh, channel experience Mm -hmm. that was really, really great. Um, Worst customer experience. uh, I think maybe Tom, you mentioned earlier that people are reading from rule books. I ordered um, a, a very expensive bedspread from a store I will name Bloomingdale's three months ago. I washed it and dried it according to the directions and it now is ruined Mm. and they told me that they could give me a 20 percent discount to keep my ruined bedspread because it was beyond the 60 days and I said look I don't know what planet you live on but nobody washes a bedspread within 60 days (laughs) I, I said you know look people are lucky if they wash them twice a year let's be let's be realistic And but no, that's all I'm allowed to do. That's huh. all I'm allowed mm-hmm. to do. You know, and, I speak and, to supervisor. and you know, <laughs> I, of course, then get very snotty and say things like, oh, so you're the president of Bloomingdale's. Um, <laughs> and so now um, the next time we talk, guys, it'll be how well did the credit card company do by me yeah. that I used yeah. to buy it? <laughs> yeah. You know, now I'm going the credit card complaint route that, okay, I tried to resolve it with the, with the company. Oh, and this was an interesting thing that they said, well, why don't you complain to the manufacturer? She spent, the woman at Bloomingdale spent 20 minutes on the web. She could not find a phone number or address for the manufacturer. I said, you were dealing with some fly-by-night manufacturer overseas that you can find no contact information for. Mm they got a good market yeah yeah what does that what does that tell both of us mm-hmm. so so next 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 stop credit card okay good luck yeah. i'll keep you guys posted right. yeah. tom i've got two good ones uh tom. and one of them is a well, uh, one of them is, has a moral and i guess they both have morals uh just before this before we started this conversation i actually uh, was on the phone with TIAA about one of my retirement accounts, which I and I had a question about it. And this thing was a question that was provoked by an email that I got from them. It sent me to look at, I had to go pull out my statement to make sure it had something, phone numbers and account numbers. So the, this email, the physical statement was involved. I went to the website and then I talked to somebody on the phone. And while I was on the website, the person on the phone walked me through some of the things we needed to do on the website. So we had what is called an omni-channel experience. Mm -hmm. And it was, first of all, he was really very nice. Uh, He was, um, he understood my, he listened and got got the right problem. We got the right stuff going. He gave me the right information. He walked me through. And then I said, then he said, now there are a few things you've got to sign here. I think you're good on your own. Tell me that you're good on your own. You can sign them. And I said, yeah, it looks like we're good. And we, and it was really it was terrific. It was just, you know, it was a, it was not the first time they've heard this question, but the, clearly they knew how to they knew how to handle it, and they handled it extremely well. And I felt well advised, safe, and in control while we were doing it. So that was really good. The flip side, the other one that I had, Tara, was or thinking about your Subaru experience. I drive a the, the world's uh, almost second old. I drive a twenty six year old Volvo, which. Um, occasionally has issues. And it had been living in Ohio where I was working for half a dozen years, seven years, and I brought it back to 
New York and I needed to find a new mechanic for it. And I found one that was around the corner from my garage when I thought it was good. First, it needed inspection, so I got my inspection. And then I went back to them because I had a problem with it. And I just was not satisfied with what, what, what they were saying. You know, the guy's out sick, he'll come back in a couple of days. And so I went on next door and I said, does anybody know a, you know, a mechanic on the Upper East Side of New York who's really good with old cars? And a couple of people recommended this place called AA um, Imported Motors. I can't remember, but they're specialists in old cars. And I went there and I dropped off the Volvo and I've never before been to a garage, certainly in Manhattan, where you could eat off the floor. Mm. And it was quite clear that these guys were specialists. That's one of the archetypes that we talked about. They were specialists. They really knew their stuff. They knew mm. old cars. Uh, they loved old cars. And they looked at, oh, yeah. And, and by the way, you've got a radio problem, but here's this website where you can get new radios because the old radios don't exist. They, they, real were, they had real level of expertise, but also just this really, you know, almost hobbyist cleanliness in the, uh, mm. in the garage uh, and a neat cockatiel up in the office <laughs> whose name is Bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had um, one, my, my one, uh, I guess, bad experience is just, I'm just in the process, but I just got notified by our life insurance company that they are updating. They're happy to announce that they are updating their, their um, automatic payment and automatic transfer process. So in the, in the next, uh, the date for the next one is coming up in November for the payment. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then they will be putting our account on like pausing our, our benefits and, and hold um, and it's just totally unclear what you can possibly because of their do. their upgrade. To... Yeah. Yes, their upgrade. So, and, and there's no number to call. There's there's nothing. So what? I was really happy that they were notifying us. I thought, wow, that's very proactive uh, what's going on. I just appreciate that. But like, I just, this doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I guess we kind of got our fingers crossed for November and, and hopefully- Just stay alive. Happens. I know. Stay alive, <laughs> stay alive till you get this thing fixed. <laughs> but then the, I have two positive ones and they're both uh, tech-related uh, in terms of, wireless provider we switched uh a, a year ago uh, so it's four phone lines and I, it couldn't have been better and in just terms of the 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 customer service of uh, you know you first started out online and then it then it got into some of the more nuts and bolts about changing numbers and packing up phones and sending them back and it was it was through the through uh um, speaking to someone on the phone uh couldn't one could be more pleasant more personal but they knew exactly what they were talking about. They've been through it millions of times because they have. You know, what's interesting that you can go to a group of 20 people and you can ask about Verizon, AT&T or T-Mobile, and you can say, who thinks that Verizon is great and raise, and who thinks that they're terrible? And you'll get equal numbers of, oh, for, yeah. for all three of them, right? Yeah. You, will get, you will get large numbers of people raising their hands saying, I had a great experience and large numbers saying they had a lousy experience. And you think, why is that? If I were the CEO of one of those companies, I'd, I'd just do that and say, why do I get to a room of 100 people and why can I get you know, a third saying neutral and a third saying terrible and a third saying terrific? What's wrong? There's something yeah. fundamentally wrong if you can't if you can't aren't delivering consistently on mm. something on, on something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking back to why I'm so annoyed about the the comforter. And it goes back to what I think I started off saying earlier in the conversation about ecosystem partners. Mm. Bloomingdale's is using some shady company that nobody can find contact information for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To manufacture and it's it's their own exclusive line you can't buy this line anyplace else so you might think that they huh. would have information on how to contact them and it's like no i don't expect you to do some shady fly-by-night company that now right. is operating under a different name mm -hmm. i expect you to use a brand name that i can i can count on and or contact so yeah, it, it goes back to as we were saying, the power of ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And that and that's that's a fail on their part. And it's a bigger fail than the customer service person. And you know, we're big believers in customer service and customer experience are not the same thing. We can save that for next podcast, Doug and Tara. Um, <laughs> but so so the failure is really 
at a much higher strategic level. It's really not with the person mm-hmm. who is in customer service. It's that somehow whoever is deciding about the ecosystem partners, that's a strategic decision, has made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that goes that back to your employee experience stuff, Doug. You, know, you need yeah. to be able, it's the company's job to design a process so that an average person with an average IQ on an average Wednesday with an average mood can deliver superior experience. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and when people put the monkey on the back of the frontline employer and say, hey, John, hey, Jane, you screwed up. Sometimes, yeah. But most of the time, it, it's, 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 not the, it's, not the, it's the company's job to create, to design a process so that an average person can deliver exceptional experience. Yeah, and there, there, there's a lot to that. I just uh, and we can we can get into that. Uh, I think it would be great to have have everyone back uh, again, and we can really talk about the differences and and in terms of customer here, customer experience is just a part of the overall. Um, or customer service is only a small part of customer experience. But the other thing I liked about um, hearing everyone's answers is there's a lot of goodness that's out there in terms of customer experience mm-hmm. as well as not so good. So there's, there's lots of room for everyone to continue to, to improve. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and think of how happy we all were telling our happy stories. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, we all, we all, um, I realized for, for the benefit of the audience, they will not be viewing this podcast. Um, <laughs> and trust us audience. That's, that's for your benefit, at least as far as I'm concerned this morning. But, uh, you know, just as we were having this conversation, four of us in, in our little uh, Zoom hive, you know, we, we were all really happy. We had happy looks on our faces telling these stories. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's, it can really make a difference in going about your day. I had been dreading, you know, spending 45 minutes on this, you know, on a presumed forgetting website having to figure out, you know, how to make sure none of the sandwiches have mayonnaise on them. Yeah. It's like the, uh, the runner's endorphin high. And maybe, maybe that's it. We'll leave it right there with, with the endorphin high and mm-hmm. uh, we'll look to have everyone come back uh, maybe later this year or early next year. Excellent. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thank you, thank you, you again, everyone. I really appreciated your, okay. your time and, and insights. Very valuable. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.